Hey, this morning we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 as we jump in. And so if you would, uh, you could either turn your Bible there or if you want to pull it up on your mobile device, uh, we're going to be looking at a chunk of scripture in Ephesians chapter 5. We've been in this series, this is our second week called Heart for the House. And really what we're doing is we're talking about just in February, taking a little bit of a heart inventory. And so last week what we did is we talked a little bit about the fact that everything that we do financially, we invest ourselves in financially, uh, has our heart. It's just uh, the, the scriptures teach on it, and the reality is uh, the, the Lord knew this, and so he challenged us with it, and it's, it's the reality that our, our heart is one of the things that can hijack our relation. Our, I mean, I'm sorry, our finances is one of the things that can hijack our heart for Christ. And so what he wants is he wants our heart. And in that, we challenged uh, ourselves to be generous, to live generously, and to have a heart of generosity. And so that certainly ties in to our heart for the house when it comes to the church. We talked about personally as well, but we want to take it a little bit further this week and go, what's it look like for God to give us a heart for the house individually in our homes? And specifically what I want to talk about today is marriage. And so what I've done uh, is, is here in a moment, we're going to pray and I've asked Rachel to, to join me, but I want to set this up before we pray because we have a diverse church and certainly not everyone here today is married, but I will promise you this, uh, whether you've been married or look to be married someday, uh, all of us know folks who are married <laughs> and we need help. Us married folks need help. And I'm going to, I'm going to challenge us throughout this message because I believe it applies to those who uh, are married and those who aren't, but I'm going to challenge us certainly at the end to uh, just be an encouragement as we believe God has called this thing, uh, uh, marriage, to be something much greater than maybe our culture has made it. So, having said that, most of us would say that we, we just want our marriage to work. We don't want to work on it. <laughs> All the guys are like, exactly, that's what I've been saying, right? But, but I want to do this. I, I, want to, I want to kind of talk about it in terms of preventative maintenance, or a checkup. It's like going to the doctor. Listen, sometimes I don't like to go to the doctor because this is what's going to happen. They're going to poke and prod on some areas. It's going to hurt a little bit. And I'm going to walk out with a prescription and a problem that I didn't have before I went in. Right. It's like, you just told me I had an issue. I didn't have an issue before I came. So I tell Rachel, I'm like, I'm not going to the doctor. Yeah, they're just going to tell me something's wrong. You know? But it's good, isn't it? It's good to get out in front of things. It's good to, to do that preventative maintenance. And that's what we're going to do this morning. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite uh, uh, Rach uh, during the prayer to come out and join me. So will you pray with me? Uh, Father, you're good. And as we jump into this topic of marriage this morning, we just confess that often uh, we want it to to work, but we don't work on it. And so this morning, as we dig into Ephesians 5, would your word just examine us? I pray for those who are here that maybe, Father, they um, uh, either uh, are single, maybe they've had a bad experience with marriage, or one day they look to be married. God, would you just allow us as a community of believers to talk about this this conversation in a way that would glorify you and that we would, uh, in this church, have marriages that would represent you? And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you haven't met Rachel, this is my wonderful wife, and every once in a while I get to teach with her because, well, she just makes me look a lot better. And so, um, but uh, it's fun. Whenever we get to teach together, uh, when we first started doing this, 
uh, I don't think this is the way it's supposed to work. Hear me out. But we would argue over like passages of scripture. I'm like, I don't think it says that. She's like, no, it definitely says that. You know, like, so we're supposed to talk about encouraging marriages and we're arguing through the whole preparation time, right? And so, but we figured out some of these things and how to do it. And uh, this week was really fun. We laughed a lot. And in talking about marriage, I think one of the things that we wanted to do was tackle this Ephesians 5 passage, uh, verses 21 through 33. And so if you're cool, we'll just jump right in because we got a lot of ground to cover. All right, here we go. Uh, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to yourselves, to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and they care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body, and for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, initially, after reading this text, if you've read it before, you've heard it, it's easy to jump to a conclusion about this. It's easy to think that Um, We're talking about control, who calls the shots, who's in control, who is in charge of everything. But actually, when you look at this passage, that's not all what we're going to be talking about today, and that's not at all the meaning behind it. It's about a bigger picture of us, God's people, God's church, and how we can relate to him as we read this. He is the head of us. It's about a bigger love. Um, it's, an about, it's about an eternal perspective, actually. God's desire, he's, his desire for our marriages is actually to reflect him and his incredible design. And ultimately, in a marriage, um, this passage is addressing this question, who has your heart? Yeah, so we, we all certainly would say none of the marriages in the room are perfect. In fact, if you're in the room and you're like, my, my marriage is perfect, um, well, probably won't be after we get through this passage. And, and two, you, you may find yourself uh, strangers in the room because we, we really believe that we're all a work in progress. Uh, Rachel and I, we chuckle a lot because we're like, man, if anybody thought that as, as pastors, your marriage was supposed to be without any arguing or be part, they've got the wrong people, you know? And because uh, we, we have certainly had to, to wrestle through uh, challenges of, of marriage. And so I, I wanna do this, whether you're single or, or dating, uh, maybe you're looking to get married one day, maybe you've been married for a long time, maybe you've had uh, the, the reality of uh, marriage not work out the way you wanted it to work out. This is what we know. We all have things that we were passionate about before we ever got married. There, there were things that we entered a marriage with. And so in that, uh, individually, you have kind of your own bucket of hopes and dreams. Before, uh, we were talking about it this week, you know, Rachel and I have now been married longer than we've not been married, 20, gonna be 22 years this year. And so now we've been married longer than we haven't. And we had to really think about this. I said, so what are some of your dreams or hopes that you had before we got married? And she was like, man, I have to think about that. And we, so we started wrestling with it, but this is what we did. We decided that we were gonna share some of those with you. So this is Rachel's bucket with a heart on it of her hopes and dreams. That's so pretty. And this is my bucket, and I put 
antlers on mine because I didn't want it to look as girly as hers, right? So I said, listen, if I'm going to have a bucket of hopes and dreams that has a heart on it, I'm going to decorate it. So, uh, so we've got our, our different hopes and dreams that we had really before we even met each other. And so I know you've placed some of your hopes and dreams. So this is pre-me, right? Yeah. So go ahead if you want to share yours first because yours are way more. It's funny that I picked this one first. <laughs> so I wanted a life of financial stability. It was really important we to me. We chuckle. Uh, yeah. She married me. And so, yeah. <laughs> it was just something real, that was just super important to me. I think part of it was just the way I grew up. But yeah. that was just really something I wanted to have as a hope and a dream for my life. I wanted to serve the church. That was a big part of uh, just that desire got a place within me. I didn't know that it would be a pastor's wife, but I knew that I wanted to serve. I knew I wanted to travel. <laughs> We're still working on that. Okay. Um, but I just had this desire to see all kinds of different places I'd never seen before. Um, I wanted to write a book, still working on that too. He's pushing me in that way, but I always had that like in me. I wanted to write a book. I also love to read. So that's probably, I told her why. I'd read it. So, Oh, that's nice. So sweet. <laughs> Um, I wanted to impact others. That was uh, just something that God had always placed in my heart. Just in, uh, be some way in a significant role to impact others and help them. Um, I wanted to be a musician of some sort, uh, whether that's in the church or outside of the church. I didn't know what that looked like. Um, I wanted to have a family. I wanted to be a mom and a wife and uh, to have, you know, a dog and all, all of that stuff, <laughs> which we do. We have Tucker. Um, oh, <laughs> I wanted my life to be stress-free. <laughs> and this is really not a joke, I, I promise you. Um, it's a joke because she married me. Because I married me. him. Yeah, um, but other than that, it was serious. So. It, I have my personality type, I don't know if you're like this, but is one that just doesn't really love conflict. I don't love taking risks or chances. And um, so I wanted a life that was very stress-free, very predictable, um, very easygoing, and God just laughed at me on that one. Um, and then I wanted a life that reflected Jesus and had Jesus at my heart. Um, in all the decisions I made, the spouse that I found, the college I went to, um, the things that I chose for my career. Yeah, so uh, my bucket um, is really not as uh, deep as hers. <laughs> uh, after, after I read hers, I was like, oh man, wait till you hear mine. So um, we'll do these. Uh, I wanted, I, I wanted to be a pastor actually ever since this, I was weird ever since I was like 16. So, uh, uh, <laughs> I wanted a, a, a smoking hot wife is what I put on that one. <laughs> I told you, you're not going to be impressed. God's done a lot in my heart. Um, college, I wanted to go to college. That was important to me. I felt like I needed to, to accomplish that. I wanted to be a dad. That was another thing for me that was high on the list. And uh, <laughs> this seemed a lot better before I read it. Uh, race car driver. I wanted to be a race car driver, <laughs> and which would explain my driving record, actually. So, uh, wanted to have a peaceful home. That was one thing that was important to me. Uh, I wanted to help broken people. Uh, that was a big one for me as well. Uh, <laughs> I, I wanted the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. Uh, Did you really think he could get away with not saying something this morning? Uh, 
And, uh, and then, of course, Jesus as well. And so, and, and the reason we did this, I mean, one, it's, it's kind of, you know, it is certainly funny to think about in 20 years how much has changed. But for us, you know, we, we had these buckets before the marriage thing came along. And so in all this, I, I, would, I would say this, the question is what out of our individual buckets of hopes and dreams belongs at the heart of our marriage, right? Because you have to figure this out. It's key to make, making sure before you enter a relationship even that you have this certainly a personal relationship. You know, we both had Jesus in our buckets. For some of us in the room that aren't married yet, uh, man, if, if you're going, man, I, I'm, I'm all about Jesus, but the person that I'm interested in isn't, that's going to create conflict when you put that in a marriage. Ask anybody in the room who has a spouse who is not a believer and they are a believer, it, is create, it creates great conflict in the marriage. And so that, that was a key part to both of us. And, you know, having that personal re- relationship with Jesus, that it doesn't mean that it's just a commitment. It means that you are finding your identity in him. You're finding your value and your worth in him. And if you can establish that before you get into a marriage relationship, it sets the tone for a much healthier marriage than it would otherwise. Um, if not, you'll begin to kind of project those needs, those wants onto your spouse, and it'll be an expectation that they just are not able to, to fulfill. There's nothing more frustrating in a marriage than when you're expecting or expected to get or give your spouse the value that only God can give them. So individually, we had to decide, and you have to decide, certainly. Uh, for those of you who are, are married, you have to look at this in your life like we have, and, and those who are thinking about it, um, you got to decide what is it that goes into this collective heart for marriage. And so, uh, we, yeah, we just talked about this. And, and because whatever doesn't make it from your bucket in here, uh, it's called sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And every marriage is built on sacrifice. Now, some of us are like, so you're telling me I have to give up some of my hopes and dreams? Well, there, there's a, trust me, you're better together than you are separate. But there are some things that just don't, you don't take into the marriage. So if we were to open this thing up and, and if you can see this, I don't know if you can see it or not, but we've got, you know, Jesus is at the heart, right? And so certainly um, that's the first thing that we would put in there is our relationship with Christ. That'd be the first thing that would go in, but you're going to put a bunch of stuff in there. Put family in there and impacting others. That's something we do well together as a team. Um, I can't travel. Put that we're there. still working on that. Uh, stress-free. So here's the thing. I had to give this one up and it was a good thing. It was a good thing. Can I say that? Because I'm glad you said that. Uh, because this perfect life that I thought I wanted and needed of stress-free was actually not taking any risks. It wasn't stepping out in faith and God must have known that I needed that push and had me marry him because uh, we have taken a lot of risks together. There have been some very stressful times in ministry. There have been some stressful times in our family and our home because we've taken risks but we've done it together. And so this is one that, you know what, I'm gladly going to put away because I know that I'm better for taking some chances and some risks and stepping out in faith with him. Yep. Mine that I I left out was race car driver, (laughs) but I would like to say for now, because we never know what's going to happen with that. We'll we'll stick it in there for now. But Mm. so in that, what happens is, and and a lot of these you would put in there as well, right? So I'm going to stick those in there. So your marriage becomes certainly a, a, a mixture, a combination of both of our hopes and dreams. But there were some things that we could not take into the marriage because it would not only created conflict with Rachel or, or, or me, it would have created conflict even with what God had called us to. And so I, I would say this, I would say looking at marriage through the lens 
that we're looking through. You can see how this passage reads the way it does. And we want to read it again and kind of walk through this passage and talk about the, the very thing that in this passage Paul's speaking to. So I'm going to put these down here so, so we can see, right? The first, the first text, the first passage that we read was verse 21. And verse 21 says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And, and if you read the text, this 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 marriage that is built with Christ at the center with the hopes and dreams that you're able to take into it, some sacrifice that you haven't taken, taken into it, it's a life that's submitted to God. So if you read the, the passages before, it's, it's literally talking about not just in marriage, but living in relationships where your life is submitted first and foremost to God. So you aren't just asking whether or not this works for your spouse, but you're also asking, does this glorify Christ? So I, this that I want to take into the marriage, does it glorify Christ? And you have to, some of us, even though we've been married for a long time, we still need to have these conversations because there's conflict in the marriage because there was a hope and dream we had and we're blaming our spouse for that not, not being fulfilled when in all honesty, that may not be what God wanted you to take into the marriage. And so in this, we're not just asking what works for the spouse, but what glorifies Christ. So the conversation in your marriage will never be complete unless it's a conversation about three and not two. You see what I'm saying? So it has to be, what's this look like for Rachel and Christ in my life? Not, not just what's it look like for Rachel. And so in that, if your relationship excludes Christ, you, you may find peace here, but at some point there's never going to be the, 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 the fulfillment of what God's called you to. You may be at peace with Christ. If there's not peace here, what's gonna happen is it's going to allow that relationship to address some spiritual things that need to be addressed. So we'll jump into verse 22. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So again, this word submit, it can conjure up some really negative feelings. Am I right? You hear that word and you immediately like, "Eh, I don't want any part of that. But um, you're thinking like Paul's saying that wives uh, should take on a certain value or a certain worth um, or that they may be less than or below their husbands. But that's not the meaning at all of this passage or the takeaway that we should walk away with today. Here's the reality. And this is so key. Um, when we're talking about relationships in, in view of this passage, we are all equal in our worth and our value, but we are different in our design and our roles. Okay, I'm going to say that again. We are all equal in our value and in our worth, but we are different in our design and our roles. God, Cody and I are equal in uh, what we contribute to our family, what we contribute to the church and our world. But God has created him so much differently than me. He has given him amazing relational and pastoral gifts and teaching and leading gifts um, that are exactly what our family and our church and our community needs. And he has given me other gifts, but that doesn't mean that my gifts are less than his or his are better than mine. It's just that I have a different design than him. I have a different... um, role than him at times. But what's so cool is that God designed him for, to, for them to complement each other. When the wife is commanded to submit to her husband, it's a matter of aligning her heart and complementing each other towards that goal. When we talk about roles, we're not talking about, we're talking about big picture roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not talking about, hey, who's going to take the trash out? Uh, you know, that, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a role that both of us, you know, well, I need to do a better job of it. But, but that's, you know what I'm saying? That's, we're, we're not going, well, now this is your role and this is my role. We're talking about roles 
uh, relationally. Yeah, God, God has given Cody gifts and his compliment mine and mine compliment him. It's so cool how we've seen that evolve over our marriage. It's a beautiful picture of how God has intended marriage to be. It's really, it's not a game of tug of war. I don't know if you feel or have felt that in your marriage. It's not that at all. It's meant to be kind of like a seesaw that you see at a playground where you balance each other out. One has a good day, one has a bad day. Their gifts complement the other and stretch the other one. It's really cool. And the reason that the emphasis is put on the wife submitting is because the word here, this is really cool. The word here is actually tied to protection. So you can't separate them. Wives, the expectation biblically isn't that you submit even when your husband is hurting you, abusive to you, or unwilling to protect you, okay? The phrase head of the wife that Paul uses in this uh, passage is specifically tied to the body. It means He's the guardian and the protector. So you can't separate submission from protection. So husbands are to remember, and and if you're a note taker, whatever this looks like for you, you're to remember that there is no right to lead apart from the responsibility to protect. So there's no right to lead in, in, in your marriage apart from the responsibility to protect. So th- those two in scripture are tied together. When we talk about protection, we're talking about physically. Paul's talking about spiritually and emotionally. So when we talk about men leading their households, we're talking about it in partnership with protecting their households, right? So you can't protect your wife physically if you're being passive in your leadership role as a husband. In other words, you need to know where your family is most vulnerable and protect those areas, men. You can't lead in your home if you're the very one inviting spiritual attack on your family because of, at some level, passiveness to sin in your own life. So you can't certainly protect your wife emotionally if you are the primary avenue for emotional instability in your home. And it says this for husbands in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the protection part. Verse 26, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And you're like, Paul, whoa, where, where'd you go? Like, what are you talking about in, in, in view of husbands? Well, Paul makes this shift and he starts to talk about how Jesus loved the church. In other words, he's tying the two together. This is why it's key for us to talk about it as a church, whether you're married or not. Paul would argue that what Jesus did in his relationship to the church and the way he served the church is a beautiful model and picture of the way marriage should work. That it is a, it's a picture of husbands serving their wives. This servant leadership. If he's at the heart of your marriage, it will be a powerful testimony to those around you. Listen, and, and, and this is, again... We just can't emphasize this enough. Those who call themselves Christians, our marriages must be a testimony. A testimony of the power of God working in us. He says in verse 28, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And this idea of one flesh often is hard for us to wrap our minds around, but listen to me. I wanna talk just a second about this phrase, one flesh. This goes for casual relationships. This goes for dating relationships. 
This goes for those who are committed to each other, not just marriage. But when scripture talks about intimacy through marriage, it talks about becoming one. So you can't undo the spiritual work that happens in sexual intimacy and becoming one flesh. And this is the way we would describe it. We'll grab some Play-Doh. You're pink. <laughs> I don't, yeah, some of you parents, as soon as we open this, you can smell it. It's like the <laughs> smell of Play-Doh. We bought the off-brand. This is nasty. Uh, <laughs> woo, I don't know. Why did you smell it? Well, it was the cheap stuff. Okay. This is called kitty dough instead of Play-Doh. So, um, but, but this we're is, on a budget. <laughs> we're on a budget. So this is, this is what's key. The best way to illustrate this is if the blue Play-Doh represented my life and the pink Play-Doh represented Rachel's life. When scripture talks about about becoming one flesh. Now listen to me, this, I'm gonna say it again. Whether you're dating or not, this is why scripture teaches that sexual, sexual intimacy belongs in the confines of a covenant marriage because once you put these two lives together, Rachel's gonna mash them together. You know this, certainly any type of intimacy that, that is making two one is one that, that you certainly, you know, you mash these two together. You can't separate. So if I were to say, okay, let's, hey, let's, Great job. Let's separate this back out. And you take the blue part and I, wait, no, you take the pink oh, part. Pink, I'm sorry. Yeah. You take the pink part and I take, what, what happens is you, you can't ever, you can't go back to the way things were before. Does that make sense? You leave a part of who you are with that person that you've become one flesh with. And so if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I'm young, I'm dating, I hope to be married someday. I want you to hear this. When, when you engage in sexual intimacy and the way God created it, you are giving, you were never meant to be separated. When you become one flesh, you, so, so you've given yourself to someone that you haven't been married to. You're, you're saying, hey, we're, we're one, but what happens if it doesn't work? I mean, just talk to someone who has, has been in a marriage and it didn't go the way they had planned for it to go. They will tell you, divorce, man, you can't just get back the life you had once before. There's, there's difficulty because you've given part of yourself to that person. And while God can certainly redeem and those who have gone down that road, God says, I just want you to know, I want to restore and redeem your life. This is the result of one flesh. Now, having said that, this is also the beauty of marriage. That once you become one flesh, you can't ever be separated. So a difficulty, an argument, a bad day doesn't separate everything. But you, Paul says, when you become one flesh, you no longer make decisions in your own buckets. You are now together making a decision with one heart around Christ. I like how um, one woman that I listened to, she shared about the power of intimacy and what that looked like for them. And she said, it's really cool because the power of sex within a marriage is almost like a way to hit the reset button um, in your relationship. Say your life has been really busy. It's been chaotic. It's been stressful. It has the ability to bring the two of you back together and on the same page. Um, some pastors that Cody and I uh, really respect um, and listen to, they talk a lot about um, the power of intimacy for good in a marriage, um, that it should never be used as a weapon to cause damage. Um, intimacy in a marriage, it should never be withheld um, for selfish reasons or vindictive reasons. It's actually, it's a gift. Uh, it brings you back on the same page and it makes you feel like one person again. It's really, 
It really is such a gift. To the point where you, you would even say, it, it's, um, if there's dysfunction, yeah. I've got an idea. <laughs> now, some of, you are, you know, some of you are like, well, that's the worst time. I'm like, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. You know, I'm just saying. And, and, you know, some of you are like, we need to hit reset daily. You know, I don't know what that looks like for you. <laughs> but I do know this, that it works. It works in, in resetting and restarting that, that marriage. It really does. Um, we'll jump into verse 32. It says, this is a profound mystery. And when Paul says this, he means this is of great importance. So listen up. But I'm talking about Christ, and I'm talking about the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You guys, this is why marriage in our faith community and talking about marriages in our faith community and fighting for our faith community with our marriages is so important because our marriages are a reflection of Christ in us. Paul speaks in verse 33 to the most important thing that a husband can do for his wife and a wife can do for her husband. So listen up. Here you go. For the wife, she needs to be loved. She needs to be adored. And this is not um, just something that you do to get a reward. This is like the real deal. Authentic and genuine love. This is what wives desire from their husbands. And husbands, they need respect They need respect from their wives. That's what Paul says, and it's so true. And this isn't some, like, blind respect or respect them because they're demanding it. This is a genuine and true respect. It says, I trust you. That's what what it means to respect your husband. It means I trust you to lead our home. It means I trust you to make decisions for our home spiritually and to protect our home. That's what it means. And for us, what that looks like isn't, it's not made in a vacuum, yeah. But there are times, you know, as a, as a protector where you're like, hey, this is, this, this is going to protect our family. And it's cool because usually in those times, if I'm in tune with God and, mm-hmm. and God is leading me in that, Rachel feels so much more confident. And if mm-hmm. I'm leading us down a path that, that is apart from God and a path that, you know, she's the one going, hey, I respect you, but time out. Like, and, it, and you come back to, is this, is this centered on Christ? Mm-hmm. You know, and so I don't know why respect is a huge deal for guys, but listen to me, wives, it is. Mm-hmm. And I think that there, there's a piece of us that we already feel inadequate in leading our homes. And so when, when you place your trust in us as, as spiritual leaders of the home, it gives us that confidence we need to step out in faith. Yes, so here's what we want to do to end our time this morning. We want to take away some practical things that we've um, gathered from this passage that we read. Just some practical ways to kind of do a heart checkup in your marriage. So if you're a note taker, you can take a picture on the screen. We would uh, just really encourage you to write these things down. Discuss them over lunch today or dinner this week. Or if you're coming to date night tomorrow night, we're going to have some time built in to talk about this as well. But these are some really important questions um, that we want to talk about. And please be honest. It's going to take some humility on your part to answer some of these questions. Um, just promise each other you're not going to get in a fight, okay? <laughs> just, <laughs> don't do this don't, if you're in a fight. Yeah, yeah don't. don't. <laughs> yeah, make sure you guys are good before yeah. you have this conversation. Um, but here's where we're going to start. First one, um, on a scale from 1 to 10, uh, do you feel respected? Yeah, so in feeling respected, uh, Arthur Brooks, uh, great communicator, um, he, he has this, this quote that, that he based off of a study that was done from folks who their, their marriage ended in divorce. And he says, marriages don't end in divorce over anger. They end in divorce over contempt. So studies show that anger wasn't connected to divorce. It was contempt or lack of respect 
that often was the key sign of a marriage that was in trouble. In other words, um, there's times that Rachel's angry at me. There's times that I'm angry at her. The damage is done with through that anger, all of a sudden disrespect enters the conversation. Contempt enters. I don't care anymore about what she thinks. I'm gonna have my way and this is how it's gonna go. That all of a sudden breakdown happens and it becomes it becomes incredibly damaging mm-hmm. to a marriage. So uh, I would say this, voice the areas that you respect them in. So if Rachel says to me, she asks the question, because this is to be asked of me and then me asked of her, do you feel respected? I may say, you know what, I feel like you respect me in these ways, but one of the ways I don't feel respected is this. And instead of her being like, well, that's dumb, you know, <laughs> you, have to, you have to listen to that and understand man, maybe I do need to work on that because obviously she feels that way. Mm -hmm. The second one is, do I encourage you in your faith? And this is huge. Uh, This is um, such an important one. And this one can really draw you together as um, a couple. If you know of uh, some other people that have modeled this well, I know we have people in our life that have. But um, this idea of encouraging each other in their faith, something that Cody's really good at and... um, he checks on me almost daily. He'll text me or he'll ask me before I leave, how can I pray for you today? And while that's just a very simple thing to ask, it means a lot because he is sharing in that with me of what's, what am I wrestling with? What, what am I, what is my face looking like today? And he's so good at helping encourage me. And, and some of those spiritual dialogues that we have had have become our best conversations in a marriage. I would encourage you as a married couple to have spiritual dialogue. It may feel weird at first if you haven't done that, but just simply say, what's God showing you in your life? What has he, he shown you? What is he teaching you? What are you feeling torn about? And it, is, um, it can be the launching pad to some great conversations. Even if, you're, even if your response is, I don't feel like he's showing me anything. That's a That's great okay. spiritual yeah. conversation to have, and it expresses that. One of the things Rachel will do is uh, when she's reading the Word, she'll come across something, and she's like, man, I read this. This is so cool, and she'll share it with me. And whether it speaks to me in the same way it speaks to her, it gives me insight into what God's teaching her. The third question is, what is something you want me to care more about? And that, that's in the text, right? Because it talks about caring and, and taking care of each other. What's something you want me to care more about? And we, we asked each other this question because we did this on the front end. You should have seen us. We were at Panera. I was laughing really hard at one point. But, but what is something you want me to care about? And she told me. She's like, well, I, I really want you to care more about this. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I don't care about that at all. <laughs> At least you're honest. Uh, yeah, I was like, yeah, you're, you're right. That was dead on. I could care less. And so, but it, it really stretches you to think outside of what's natural for you. Because there's some things that she wants me to care about that's just not natural for me to care about. And that's just reality for us. So, And then the fourth one um, is what barriers are there to your intimacy? And this is a really big one that actually can be, um, there's lots of reasons. We jotted down a few. You know, maybe you've had a past relationship that has uh, kind of hindered you in an intimate way. It's hard for you to get past that. Maybe you have young kids and schedules just don't allow it and it's hard and I get it. We've totally been there. Um, and maybe you have some expectations when it comes to intimacy, how much time you guys should spend together, how often you should be together. All of those things are expectations that we carry into a marriage. But I think that it all boils down to answering the first three questions. And if we answer those first three questions, it really can lead into the intimacy part. Yeah, we, as we were looking at this, Rachel just said, you know, if you address the first three questions, 
the fourth one just seems to address itself. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that's really healthy. I, I would argue this. Um, we don't talk about barriers to intimacy, but man, it's a point of tension in marriages. And so we've got to start talking about it. And so that, that may be an awkward question for you guys to talk about in your marriage, but it needs to be talked mm-hmm. about. There can be, in these four questions, they can be a weekly checkup. Maybe you need a daily checkup right now, whatever that looks like. I wouldn't go further than a weekly checkup on it. But the questions are there to bring health back into our marriages based on Ephesians chapter 5. And you know this, but we all give our hearts to something. And we all, at, at some level, have our own hopes and dreams and desires. Some of us are holding on to some things that, that, that we feel like didn't get fulfilled in our marriage. And the reality is, it wasn't your spouse's responsibility to fulfill that. You're looking for something from God that only he can fulfill. But this is what I want to do, because the question this morning is whether or not Christ is at the heart of your marriage. What I want to do this morning is, we're going to wrap up our time. I've asked Rachel if she would pray for the wives in the room, and I'm going to pray for the husbands. But I want to say this, for those in the room who are single, whether you've been married or you look to get married someday, whatever end of the spectrum you're on, can I just share this with you? Uh, married couples need you. Uh, you. You can minister to married couples even being single. You don't have to be married to encourage a marriage. You don't have to be married women to, to, to encourage a woman who may need that encouragement as a, a wife. Men, you don't have to be married to, uh, to jot a note or uh, take a, a guy out and just encourage him over a drink and say, hey, I just want you to know that man, I'm praying for you as a husband. It can be one of the best things that will happen in their life. One of the things that happened uh, when Rachel and I were first married, we were married about a year and a half and we were serving at this little church of 130 and I was the youth pastor and it was, it was this old country church. And after church one day, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the, there was one lady, I can't remember her name. She'd always come up and say, we'll see you next week. And then she'd say, Lord willing and the creek don't rise, which I was like, okay. You know, <laughs> like, I had to think what's that even mean? Yeah. So anyway, uh, that's like, that puts context into the church, right? It was an old church. And uh, there was this other uh, man, uh, he had was probably one of the oldest gentlemen in the church. His, his wife had already passed on and he walked up to me one Sunday and he shook my hand and said, thank you for being here. And in his hand, he had uh, cash and he, he shook my hand and I could feel it. And he said, hey, I want you to take your wife out to, out to lunch today. And I remember that so vividly because we didn't have money. I mean, we were, you know, we were, we were not financially stable. You know? <laughs> and uh, and uh, the, the blessing that came through that, I mean, this was someone who even, even though his wife had passed on, I still saw the value of a healthy marriage and wanted to make sure that others experienced that. And, and we did. We went out and had lunch that day and it was a, a carefree lunch. And uh, man, it was such a blessing. I, I say that because we need healthy marriages in the body of Christ. We need to be on the offense and not the defense. We need to be proactive and not reactive. We need to begin to speak up and speak into what it looks like to, to, to value healthy marriages within the faith community. And so in that, I'll ask you if you would pray for the wives in the room. God, thank you so much for this church family. Thank you for uh, the ability to get together and um, read your word and um, hear your wisdom on this topic. God, I I just pray over the wives in this room this morning, God. Um, I know that there is um, many wives here that um, are in different seasons of life, uh, different places in their faith. But I do know one thing, God, and that is that you love them right where they are, God. You have um, given them gifts. You've given them abilities and talents, God. 
You've given them um, desires and hopes, God. And my prayer for them this morning is that their eyes would be opened and their hearts would be softened to the things of you, God. That they would um, look at their husbands in light of you. That they would see them, God, as a gift. That they would see the ways that they can serve and love and um, guide, God. And just give them wisdom and strength and boldness as they um, navigate the waters of marriage, God. May they fight for their marriages. May they be strong and uh, loving and bold and kind and gentle, God. And may you exhibit your grace through them to their families, God. May grace just pour out of them all the time onto their families, their spouses, and the people around them, God. Would you lift them up and encourage them today? It's in your name we pray. And Father, I pray for the husbands in the room, God. We just confess that uh, often we'd rather our marriage just work and I just pray, God, that we would be bold enough to work on it, Father, that we would step out in faith in an area that uh, you know, God, we're not very uh, emotional when it comes to those conversations, but God, to be intentional. And Father, I pray for uh, the husbands in this room that uh, many of us, we feel inadequate to lead our families. We certainly would look at our wives and say they may be the more spiritual one than us. God, would you... Would you give us confidence? Would you renew our faith? Would we be bold? And would we lead uh, knowing that, that we can rely on you? We can depend on you, God, that when we fail, Father, we, we fail forward knowing that you have us, you've caught us, God. Your grace is sufficient. Uh, God, I pray that uh, we would not uh, be passive in the way we love intentionally. Uh, God, we would love our wives like Christ loves the church. God, that we would be servant leaders, that we would exalt them, that we would adore them, that we would uh, place them in a place of honor and dignity and respect. We love you, Father. We pray for the marriages of this church. Would you strengthen our homes? Would you give us a heart for our house? And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Why don't you stand? We'll continue to worship.